Welcome to Have a Life Teaching, the podcast designed for educators who are dedicated to enhancing their teaching practice and creating a positive impact on their students' lives. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the world of education, exploring a wide range of topics related to curriculum, instruction, and assessment in K-12 schools. Together, we'll learn from the brightest minds in the education field. So if you're a passionate educator who's ready to take your teaching practice to the next level, join us as we explore the exciting world of education. My name is John Shimbari, signing in and saying, let's have a life teaching. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Have a Life Teaching Podcast, the podcast where we hope you get some great tips for your teaching practice and or your leadership practice so that way our students can continue to grow and achieve. So I'm really excited today. I have as my guest, Matthew Rhodes. Matt is educational expert. He's a consultant out on the West Coast in San Diego. He's also a department chair overseeing the dissertations of rising administrators, people getting their doctorate. Yes, Matt? Yep. Excellent. So I had the opportunity actually a couple months back to be on Matt's show and had a great conversation with him there about best practices and leadership and teaching. And so now that I have my own podcast, I really wanted to get Matt on the show to talk about his new book, which is 50 Tips for New Teachers, How to Crush It from the Start. And I wish I had had this resource when I was a new teacher. So first of all, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it. It's always fun chatting with you and always really fun seeing all your engaging posts on LinkedIn and seeing everyone's responses. It kind of is something that I'm always looking forward to. So great job connecting everyone. Great. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate that. So a question I like to start any conversation I have with a guest around is, who are you? What's your background? And how did new teacher support become your thing within education? Yeah, so I my background's in special education at the K-12 level, teacher, and then I became a kind of a tech coach and teacher. And then I moved into a position where I'm in now. It's kind of a county position, but it's very kind of niche where I work with adult education schools and community colleges. And I do all the professional development coaching, essentially like a ed tech coordinator, essentially at the county level. And then I also have positions at two universities and I was connected by a number of people at the university where I work with student teachers in the department of dual language. And I've worked with new teachers before and I was doing work with faculty at that university and they thought that this would be a good opportunity for me to work with uh, pre-service teachers and going through the student teaching process. And I've been doing it for a number of years now and at the elementary and then at the secondary levels as well. And it's really fun, you know, mentoring and coaching teachers as they teach in English and Spanish predominantly in a wide variety of settings throughout our county. And I, and it's the same thing with doctoral students. I like the journey. It's a journey. You see a lot of growth in a person because you're seeing them for maybe a year or even over a year. And you get to really kind of hopefully plant some good seeds, good habits, and hopefully teach them a few things that maybe you maybe had challenging experience with. And yeah, so that's what I really do and enjoy and love what I do. Excellent. So why do you think we have to provide 
more support for particularly our pre-service, our new teachers? I mean, I've seen it where people have had no support versus support. And there are certain people that have certain personalities that can do well without support. But there's, I think the vast majority of people in life that are doing something completely new and teaching is an extremely difficult and challenging experience because it's something that's very dynamic. It's ever changing. And there's a lot of things that you don't have control over, especially when someone's new to doing this. It's kind of like, I'm trying to think of a really a, another experience in life where you have so much that's going on around you that you really only have so much control over. And it's, it's just something that not many people have any really prior experiences doing when they go into it. Maybe they've worked at a preschool, maybe they've worked one-on-one as a tutor or a small group, but a lot of people coming in, they don't have much experience working in any really capacity. And I think just showing them the ropes and building their toolkit over time as really, I think it just takes a lot of practice to get good at teaching because I think there's the science to it and then there's the art form. So it's, I think it's truly a, 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 that, that dynamic intertwining of those two things. So, and it's something that's just ever changing. So constantly having to new, learn new things. So that's, that's the reason why I think that they need support. Something you said there really resonated with me when you were talking about it being both obviously a science and an art. I think a lot of people get into teaching because of that desire to do good, because they want to have yeah. their, their life have meaning. They yeah. want to express their creativity and get students to express what they have in their hearts and in their mind. But 100%. the reality is, it is, a, it is a job. We have to ensure that students are achieving against a set of standards or objectives. Those change, but that is pretty much what we are expected to do as, as educators. So go into it with these high hopes, with this creativity. But the other side of it is definitely there are best practices that we should be using as educators. There are systems that we should put in place. And often, I think if people get disillusioned in those early years of teaching, and I think, Matt, I, you must have heard the stat somewhere. I don't know if it's still exactly true, but something like 60% of our teachers are leaving the profession in five years. Obviously, they need more than just to come in with this creative mindset. They do need to understand the processes and procedures that they have to master as new teachers. And I say that because I was really excited to read in your book how you really lay that out nicely for new teachers. And I particularly enjoyed, because I never saw this when I was a new teacher, how you outline your book via section, I don't think it's chapters, but via section in terms of seasons, the yep. seasons of a new teacher. Would you mind chatting a little bit about, because you have 50 great tips in this book. I mean, there are so many great tools in this book for new teachers, but it could still be overload for folks, especially if they're struggling, they're trying to yep. get their sea legs. Which of the strategies or tips or tools that you have in the book would you recommend that new teachers focus on during each season of that first year? Yeah, so broken up into four seasons, section one, the anticipation and first interaction. So going into that first experience or going into that beginning of the year. And that's really where you're trying to build those routines for yourself individually as a person, as well as a teacher. So I always like to tip number one, the book, thinking less is more in all you do. What are your you know non-negotiable three to five things that you need to do every single day 
to be successful in your in your context. I really love that one. Tip number four, remembering your why. Why did you get into this? Decision tree, self-advocacy, because you're going into essentially a new experience likely. And then how can you self-advocate for yourself for support? Because you're trying to learn new systems, new procedures, et cetera. And then another one is working with instructional strategies to help you do more with less. I, I think that that's essentials along with building relationships that matter more than content at the beginning of the year. I mean, if you don't have relationships with your students, then ultimately you don't have credibility and you could have a lot of not maybe not chaos but some more difficulties so those are ones that begin the year that I think they're really good we talk a lot of writing more others there but those are the ones that I believe when if I was to pick one out for my personal self that I feel like that are really important because really the first part of the year is you're establishing everything and you want to make a good impression to your students yourself and your colleagues. And I think that doing those things are really helpful. I heard you talking about the why, really thinking about what your non-negotiables are each day, the top three. I also heard you mention self-advocacy. That's something I definitely want us to loop back around. You talk about the strategy of doing more with less. And of course you base this and you ground this all around developing those relationships with students at the beginning of the year. You know, I agree right. with you. That's key because, you know, you have to get the students on your side. You also have to understand what your student, who your students are yep. and the needs that they have. Speaking about developing those primary relationships with students, what are some very quick strategies you might recommend to get a sense of who the students are sitting in front of you? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on your context, but I, I really love this notion of like a student's doing like an interpersonal slide journal that can be used as a gallery walk at the beginning of the year, whether you're doing it on a Google slide or whether you're doing it on a larger piece of paper where they can do a comic, possibly their life or draw and label a number of key things that are really important to them. And then you keep that within your classroom or on your classroom's learning management system for the entire year as a way just for not only you, but your students to remember who's in the room with you and where do they possibly come from? What are they interested in? That's one thing I really like at the beginning of the year to do. What I like about it in particular, when you mentioned gallery walk, as you said that, I was thinking not only is that a great strategy to have them do the slide journal, but then to do the gallery walk, not so much even so you learn your students, but students can learn about each other and make those yep. connections amongst themselves. Because if we really want to establish student-owned classrooms, that's key for students to also understand and learn each other, which I believe a side effect, a positive side effect of that is hopefully less bullying and, yes. and more identification with one another. Thinking about that, Matt, again, you mentioned self-advocacy. And before we came on Mike, you and I were talking about how teachers, not just new teachers, but existing teachers too, can probably do more to advocate for themselves. Now, yes, we hope that we have administrators that advocate on our behalf, but what would you suggest educators could do to promote themselves, to advocate for themselves? What you have in the book around self-advocacy is important because we don't see that very often in new teacher manuals or, or how-to books. I kind of liken if you're in a new school in context to being essentially in a different country, 
I mean, if you go to a different school in a different neighborhood, each of them are different and there's different procedures and systems for doing things. And there could have different resources consolidated somewhere for instruction. They could have a whole different system of how, especially if you're going state to state, like how are services provided to students through the counselor or the social worker? How are, how are is your school doing PLCs? If they're not, then... Who do you talk to to get support of building the curriculum? You got to know, I think, like 10 major facets of all these procedures and systems that are going on. And whether you're talking to your department head, your colleagues, or your principal, I think a lot of new teachers feel under threat for not knowing anything and don't want to seem weak. But in reality, I think asking those questions early on is really important because then it shows those the community at your school that you want to know what's going on. And if you ask those questions, then everyone around you kind of knows that this person wants to know what's going on. They know the what we're how we do things, the resources that we can use. And ultimately, if they don't ask those questions, then in all likelihood, they may be floundering because they haven't asked. Or I think sometimes in schools, people think competency is not asking questions and just putting your head down and doing your job. And sometimes that's right. honestly one of the worst things that you can do because you might not be doing things the proper way or may not be utilizing the resources that you have. I totally agree. And what I what I heard you say were, was specific, asking for specific things, asking, because I agree, it's not about putting your head down and just doing your job. Because like you said, how and or it's about surfacing what you know and what you don't know and being actually open to admitting what you don't know that in some ways that actually proves and that's actually more important as an educator because if we're going to grow our systems and if we're going to increase our teaching not just as new teachers but throughout our career we need to have that openness to always doing more and doing better and the only way we could do that is if we surface what we currently know and don't know so I I really found that very impactful. Now, you also talked about when you were just saying talking there about going to your supervisor, for example, and asking them about the specific curriculum. Now, hopefully your supervisor is giving you that before you have to ask. But that got me thinking, Matt, what are the key areas if your supervisor doesn't give you or tell you about that you should be asking your supervisor about curriculum being one, obviously, what else would you recommend? Almost like a checklist. I would say one is the curriculum. One is with behavior. What are the procedures relating to certain behaviors and how do we mitigate them and how can we work together to solve those things, whether it's a referral process or each school has their own procedure for that. I think behavior is another one. Three is social services that may include school counselor, psychologist, social worker related to a variety of student needs, especially if students are having trouble navigating their mental health or you notice something that's off and you want to provide them that resource. I also think coming down from the district, what are what what are the objectives and concerns of the district currently and how does that currently kind of affect your department? and what you're doing in the classroom. Then there's also, I think, technology as well. How do we, what technology do we have? How would you like us to use it? Intertwining with our curriculum and day-to-day, as well as, is there any access issues or things that we need to know 
before we start using this in our classroom. So those are things that I just, you know, five or six things that I can come up with right now where that are key to just day-to-day -day operations. Actually, because you are an ed tech person, how do you recommend teachers bring in and use technology as a tool in their yeah. teaching practice? I think that you got to have a variety of different instructional strategies that you are able to integrate into your technology use. So say, for example, we're using uh, quizzes or we're using digital flashcards for retrieval practice. There has to be a purpose like this retrieval practice, which is the, essentially the strategy. And then we use these tools to help our students with that. Or for example, cooperative learning strategies or thinking routines where we can see our students thinking and collaborating in real time can be utilizing that or showing that within a scaffolded manner and seeing their work over time. And also for formative assessment purposes where you can see their answers in real time as you're going through maybe possibly direct instruction or guided practice. And essentially then just kind of monitoring, adjusting as you go. You have to have those strategies and then you have to have the tools that you're utilizing for to essentially deliver that. So to me, that's essentially how I like and use technology. I also think that when you go up the ladder in terms of the in integration pieces that you then hopefully over time provide the students an opportunity to demonstrate their learning in a wide variety of ways. Another thing I should say in your book that I found refreshing and wish that I had had as a, as a new teacher, and maybe because this wasn't the reason it wasn't in the books you and I had as new educators, perhaps is because it wasn't as big of a concern. But obviously, post-COVID, not only are we concerned about students' mental health issues, and, and you mentioned the need for new teachers to be really talking with the social services folks in their districts about how we support yeah. student needs. But what I really liked about 50 Tips are some of the strategies that you included for teacher self-care, for us to be caring about ourselves. Would you mind talking us through some of the ways or strategies you would recommend to new teachers that they do practice self-care? Because we need them to stay in the classroom. Yeah. We need them to stay in education. I think starting off with this notion of self-care for your mindset, I think constantly throughout the day, positive self-affirmation, uh, especially, you know, things are going really well. You have your highs and even in your lows, you got to get yourself through things. So I think positive self-affirmations to yourself is really a uh, really good strategy. This idea of gratitude. So possibly even having a gratitude journal at the end of the day or a short reflection that you're writing down like two or three sentences. What essentially like what were the two or three great things that happened today and you're grateful for them? I love that because I think a lot of times when we leave a situation, especially if it was not a good day, we dwell on the negative. And I think that in order for us to not dwell on the negative, we need to have an activity for ourselves to make sure our mindset switches from that negative to more objective and more positive towards the day so that then you can move on to the next part of your life in the afternoon and evenings. I would also say this, this idea of strong habits. And what I mean by that is eating breakfast every morning, just simple stuff like that, that having a gym schedule or activity schedule where you are moving your body in a way that is in a healthy way, just having that scheduled throughout the week. Those are just some key things. And I also think that it's always important to have someone to talk to, whether that is someone that's not associated with your school, a friend, a therapist, 
having that one or two support group in place is really impactful as well. So those are just some things I can think of right now. And to the, your point about having an advocacy group, I think many, uh, many new teachers, actually many administrators talk about feeling isolated, feeling alone, that nobody understands what they're going through, or there are limited people you could speak to in your own school community about this. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you're a teacher, if there is one or two colleagues, or if there are one or two colleagues that you bond with, perhaps that could be your affinity group. But yeah. even for administrators, if they're alone, they're in a unique position where maybe they can't share as much with others in school. But whether you're a teacher or an administrator, you're hitting on something, I think, Matt, that's really important. This idea of maintaining self-care by reaching out and knowing your support. Another thing you and I talked about before we came on, online was the fact that when you and I go and do work in schools, we're often surprised at how actually fearful educators are about using social media. I know that the theory is that everyone is out there. It's writing everything and anything online and there, there are no filters, but that's not actually what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the majority of at least in-school educators, as opposed to us consultants who are very fearful about, and I mean, I'm not discounting that. I think one needs to be cautious, but yeah. not really availing themselves to all the ways that social media can actually help people network and form connection to avoid that imposter syndrome setting in. And I know yeah. you talk about that in the book. So can you tell us a little bit more your thoughts on how educators could and should be networking with one another? And I can just tell you from my experience is that when I got networked through social media, it transformed my practice because I was able to get a lot of really good resources that I could then curate or people that are doing amazing things that I can talk to or have some sort of dialogue with them where I can see that you're doing this in your school or you're doing this in your classroom and what was their experience with that and how can possibly it, it apply to me. To me, that's so powerful because you don't get to see that in one isolated context. And I think on social media, you can see a variety of different perspectives and contexts of where that may have taken place to then really decide for yourself, hey, I'm not alone in this one. And two, there's a lot of people trying this already or doing this. And, and hopefully maybe that gives you confidence to do that too. We talked about a lot of different things new teachers should be looking at or ways that new teachers can support themselves if, again, their administrators aren't providing some of the support for new teachers. But although I hope people listening to this podcast, if you are an administrator, even though Matt and I are talking about what teachers could be doing, that doesn't mean you as an administrator can't be putting these things in place for your teachers. With that said, though, Matt, anything that we haven't talked about in terms of new teacher practice that you want to talk about? What else uh, should new teachers know and what should administrators who are managing new teachers know? I think just that on the leadership side of things, I think that leaders need to understand. I feel like over the last five to six years, really the dynamic of classrooms have changed. 
and just how teaching and learning is happening and how classrooms are run are, are significantly different than I think prior to 2015. So I think they really need to get into classrooms all the time and know what's going on. If you're an administrator working with new teachers and you're not seeing what's happening in your classrooms, then you're doing yourself and them a disservice because then you are not providing them with an up-to-date perspective of what's going on. So that's one thing I think that school leaders and district leaders need to understand. Always go in the classrooms, and I think that the nature of this has changed. And then for new teachers is that we need to focus on supporting them through really challenging classroom environments. So I think really focusing on classroom management and building relationships with students is, is critical and showing them and modeling how to do these routines with students and how do you de-escalate a situation with a student, especially if there's an outburst or God forbid a fight in a class. You need to know how to do these things and it needs to be modeled by a supporting teacher or administrator of how, how can you na navigate these situations because that ultimately what I'm seeing right now, when those things, if someone knows how to navigate those the best of their ability, then they're more likely not to, I think, burn out in, in the climate that we're currently in. You really highlight the importance of what teachers can do for themselves in situations post-pandemic where we are dealing with these behavior issues, which have always been there, but yeah. are only exacerbated post-COVID. So I would agree that focusing on themselves and managing a classroom through productive and positive procedures is definitely where I would even recommend that new teachers yeah. spend their spend their time. And and the instructional strategies, the the pedagogy, that will come in time. Now, before yeah. I ask you my last question, which is where people can find you, just this last question made me think about asking you another. Even though they do want to, new teachers do want to focus on establishing those relationships with students and having that positive classroom environment. If you were going to focus on say one to three instructional strategies that teachers should be adopting right from the start so they don't fall into bad habits or bad yeah. what would be one to three instructional strategies that you wish all teachers knew right from the start currently in the world that we live in i think formative assessment is so important especially in the world of artificial intelligence seeing what students can do in real time and seeing how you can monitor and adjust your instruction as a result of their performance in real time is in incredibly important. And we have a lot of different tools now that can make it really doable and I think sustainable for teachers. That's one. I think number two is this idea of retrieval practice. There's a lot of research about if you don't have background knowledge about something and you're unable to retrieve that information, then it's really, really difficult for mm. our students to understand new concepts and make connections. So I think retrieval practice is number two. And then number three, it's kind of two at the same time is basic modeling and just direct and just basic direct instruction. Because if you're unable to model directions clearly with clarity, then students don't know what they're supposed to do. And it's very confusing. So those three things to me are foundational strategies that I think that a new teacher needs to know how to do before they enter a class full time. Where can people find you or find out more about you and the work that you do? Yeah, so you can check me out on my website, matthewroads.com. Check out 
my podcast, my books, my blog that I keep pretty active as well. I'm on social media on LinkedIn at Matthew Rhodes on X at Matt Rhodes 1990, Instagram, Dr. Rhodes EDU, very active on social media and, and hopefully look forward to connecting with you and definitely enjoy learning together. That's ultimately what I really enjoy doing is, is learning from everyone that I'm connected with. And I will folks post in the show notes, the various links to where you can find that. Matt, this has been lovely. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks, John, for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you for listening today. I hope you got some great tips that you can bring back into your teaching. Remember, have a life teaching without sacrificing your own. Also, don't forget to subscribe and be well.